me, but it's been a fun adventure for me. So uh, we'll see. Uh, hope, uh, my only hope is that God speaks uh, to every single one of you. You know, we've been looking at, at how God uses us to engage culture, how he engages culture really through his people. And culture is just our way of life. And, and how God just kind of immerses himself uh, through us into the people around us. And he, he uses his people to engage culture. So we've been kind of studying the life of Joseph, as you know. And and kind of bringing those truths to, um, to our lives that are thousands of years old. And so over the last few weeks, we've seen how really God awakens our conscience, how um, we kind of have opportunities to surrender our prize to him, the things that are most valuable to us, to, to, to Almighty God. And this really allows the great I Am to be uh, our prize, as he really ultimately is. And, and it sets us free then to allow everything else in our lives uh, to just be blessings. And we're free to enjoy all things. But as we walk with our Father, all of a sudden through life, he kind of moves through us and he impacts the people around us. And so as we're looking about that, I just kind of just want us to reconnect with what kind of God this is. And that's really the title of this message is, What Kind of God Is This? Okay, and, and we've been looking at the attributes of God with our staff, and on Sunday night we have a Bible study, and looking at Tozer's book uh, about the attributes of God, but it's really just uh, who God is and what kind of God he is. And when you look at God and his attributes, you see that his imprints are all over culture. I mean, we, get, we see goodness, but only God is purely good, right? We see mercy, but only God is purely merciful. We kind of get a glimpse of justice, but only God is truly just, we see uh, a kind of a distinct, distant holiness, but of course only God is truly holy. And that's the thing about our God is he is one. And some of the attributes of God just can't be replicated in our world, one of which is, is grace. Uh, the world and the world's religions, apart from Christianity, cannot offer grace. Uh, God's undeserved favor. Uh, you don't get grace. It, it is simply given, and there's nothing you can do but receive it. And it's hard at times to just receive his grace. But this God is, is one, and so he is one in all of his attributes. He's complete in each one. And, and there's nothing outside of God that, that makes God do anything, right? He's God. And so he's self-contained. And today we're going to kind of look at a few of his attributes and then kind of try and apply them back to our lives. And, and by the end of this, you'll either think I'm like really crazy or that God is amazing, okay? And, or maybe both. It's okay to think both. But, uh, you know, I was telling the first service, I was praying this week about this, and I had all these kind of notes all around me and these books, and my desk was just cluttered mess, and I had all these thoughts going through my head, and I was just struck by how cool our God is, and, and I had like this blank screen in front of me, and, you know, I was just so frustrated trying to get to like, God, what is it that you have for your people? I, I'm willing to say whatever you want, God. What is it? And, and I had this blank screen, and I'm just like, God, show me what to cut out. And he says in his way, you don't have anything written down. <laughs> and it's like, I didn't even know where to start. And that's kind of what I'll tell you about this. It's like, I didn't even know where to start. And, uh, and that's kind of how it is. And so really what I landed on to start to capture our attributes is, is Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. And Isaiah 30, 18. And it says this, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. Okay? Now just, now just think about that. The Lord 
longs or he waits to be gracious. One of his attributes is grace. He's completely gracious. He wants to pour out his grace on you, right? He waits on high to have compassion or mercy, this active compassion on you. And also, he's the God of justice, and he uh, wants to pour out his justice because he's completely just, and that kind of makes us cringe a little bit. But how blessed are those who wait for him. Father, I pray that you would just speak to us by the power of your Spirit, that uh, you would just move in our lives, that you would just, just get me out of the way and take away all the things that are racing through our minds today and let us just hear from you as only uh, you can speak. And uh, Father, I pray that the, each one of us would leave thinking uh, how amazing you are. Uh, how amazing you are. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I know that God wants to pour out his grace and his mercy and his justice on you. And that may make you a bit nervous, right? We're good with the grace-mercy thing. But the justice thing's like, okay, uh, just, I'm not sure I can handle that. But just hang in there, okay? Hang in there and see if we can't make this all tie together in a way that makes sense. So just to kind of give you a picture, when you think about justice, our definition is you get what you deserve, right? Uh, there's a price to be paid if you break a law. So there's a law, there's a price to be paid. If you get the price that is due for breaking a law, that's justice. And so... The example I use is like if you're coming down Highway 16 there by the medical center uh, going into 8th Street, um, Mount Rushmore Road, I guess, depending on how long you've lived here. Um, and, and the speed limit is 35 miles an hour right there. And it's a pretty steep hill, and so 35 miles an hour is a bit of a stretch. And the law says you go over 35 miles an hour, you're going to get fined, okay? And, and, but the law easily could say, and how about if the law said if you go over 35 miles an hour, you immediately go to jail. Okay, and that could be the law. You go over 35, you go to jail. And so if the police pick you up, you're going from 36 to 46 to 56 to 86, whatever, right? Whatever your speed is going down that hill, and I'm sure they've seen all those speeds. Justice would say that you go to jail, okay? And God is completely just. So God just looks at a moral situation, and he applies justice. Does that make sense? So say you're stopped and you're going like 40 miles an hour, or you're going some speed, lim speed over the speed limit, and the officer decides to show you mercy. So rather than send you immediately to jail, he lets you go home. And he lets you take care of whatever issues you've got to take care of to prepare for your jail sentence. So immediately that sentence isn't carried out, so you can go home, take care of the kids, do whatever you've got to do, take care of the parents, right? But uh, you're given mercy, and, and God is completely merciful. It's like this active compassion. So then you show up for jail a few days later, you're locked up, you're brought before the judge for sentencing, and the judge gets off of his bench, and he comes down to you, and he gives you his robe, okay? And he goes into the other room and gets on the pink uh, outfit, and he serves your sentence, and you become the judge. Oh, that's ridiculous, right? But that's grace. That's just unearned favor. That's just grace. And you see, God is completely graceful. He's completely gracious. To me, when I think about grace kind of in a, in a definition, Jesus Christ is grace personified, okay? So when faced with this moral situation, God responds completely in all of his attributes. And that's just three of them, but in all of his attributes. But how for us, it's hard to get our heads around how he can respond with justice and mercy and grace at the same time. And we get confused because we're parts, you know, we're body, soul, spirit. And Tozer says um, that's why we have psychiatrists, 
because uh, we're, <laughs> our parts are always messed up, right? And maybe counsel, but that, we're parts. But God is not parts. He's one. And so we can kind of see a judge struggle with justice and mercy. For example, if, if a physician was driving down the hill going 50 miles an hour or 70 miles an hour to get to the emergency room, okay, and he gets picked up, justice says, you go to jail, right? But there's this mercy that says, oh, let him go to the ER and take care of that patient, right? So there's like this mix that you can see where a judge would struggle through these things. But God doesn't struggle at all with these things, okay? He's completely just. He's completely merciful. He's completely gracious, among other things. And so we're going to kind of look at that, and with that in mind, we're going to look at Joseph, we're going to look at his brothers, and hopefully kind of bring it back home to you and I. And as we've been looking at Joseph, I, I like to kind of set the scene of where we've been, and just remember Jacob has 12 sons, two sons from his favored wife, Rachel, he has Benjamin and um, Joseph. And then he has 10 other sons and one daughter from Leah and his concubines. And Leah um, had all these boys, but Rachel as she was given birth to Benjamin, died. And so Jacob, of course, favored Joseph, his favorite son, uh, through life. He's the one he gave the multicolored robe to. It's kind of said, you're above work. And Joseph had this big dream that everyone's going to bow to him, his brothers, and, and he was going to be the head, which was totally countercultural. And, and so you kind of get this picture of how he was so favored, and his brothers didn't like it very well, so they sold him off into save, to slavery. And Jacob thinks his son Joseph is dead, but as we know, he's deceived, and actually Joseph has risen through the ranks, and he's kind of running the land of Egypt. He's number two in the country now. And so there's this big famine in the land. Uh, there's food in Egypt because of Joseph and God's wisdom uh, pouring through Joseph. And so there's food there. So Jacob finally sends his brothers down to get the food, everybody except for Benjamin, because now Benjamin, Joseph's brother, has kind of become his prize, and he didn't want to lose him and Joseph. So the brothers go to Joseph. They don't recognize him. Of course, they're probably looking amongst the slaves, and he's running the country. Uh, but he knows them. And so he sends them back home. He sends them back with food. He gives them their money back. He blesses them with grace. He says, don't come back unless you bring Benjamin. And he keeps Simeon as a hostage. So that's kind of the story. And, and the brothers are guilty. Uh, and, and they knew that Joseph really, they didn't know it, but Joseph had the total power to execute really justice to them. Uh, they at least deserve prison, and he put them in prison for a while, but then he showed them some mercy and set them free. He didn't leave them there, and he showed them some grace and gave them food and gave them extra provisions and, and blessed them beyond uh, they could even imagine. And that's kind of in our lives. We just got to keep looking a a towards God because he's making himself known. So basically, he says, come back, and if you're going to come back, you want more food, bring your brother. So, of course, they uh, run out of food, and, uh, and they come back, and they have this grand feast, and Benjamin's there, and Joseph greets them all and lavishly pours out kind of his blessings on them all. He has this huge meal. He doesn't reveal himself, but he sends them away, and he sends them away with food and money, and then he puts his cup, his silver cup, in the sack of his brother Benjamin. And uh, not long after they leave, he sends his men after the brothers, and he says, uh, whoever has that cup is guilty, set the rest free, and bring him back. Okay, so that's kind of the story. And of course, they're, they're guilty, and God has been moving in their lives, and this family, and their conscience has been awakened. And in the past, you know, they sold their brother in slavery, so you would think when they find the cup in Benjamin's sack, they'd say, see you, buddy. Uh, we're heading home. You're on your own. I mean, that's how they dealt in the past, right? But instead, they all stick together. They all realize their guilt. They all come back. And really, uh, I think that's the first thing that we kind of need to realize when we're trying to figure out what kind of God we serve is that when you sin, admit your guilt. 
admit your guilt okay here the brothers are in this moral situation they have sinned against Joseph they're guilty and and just like the person speeding down the road just like anybody who has ever sinned against God which would be all of us all of us okay have sinned against God the very first thing to do is admit their guilt and you kind of see God working in their lives and, and really we'll pick up our story kind of right before where Lynn read and we'll, we'll go there but in Genesis chapter 42 you kind of see God moving in their lives in chapter 42 verse 21 um, the brothers are, are stuck and they say to, to one another they say truly we're guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul and he pleaded with us and we would not listen therefore this distress has come upon us right they're feeling their guilt and if you go down to verse 28 um, you know they say to his brothers my money has been returned behold it's even in my sack their hearts sank they turned trembling to one another they said oh what is this that God has done to us and then if you go over to verse 16 of chapter 44 you kind of see where Judah steps in and in verse uh, Judah says now catch Judas is the guy who sold his brother Joseph into slavery it was his idea and so now Judah comes in and he says what can we say to my Lord what can we speak how can we justify ourselves God has found out the iniquity of your servants behold we are your slaves we and the one whose cup the possession whose uh, in whose possession the cup has been found and of course Joseph said oh, I don't want you all to be my slaves just the one who has the cup and so Judah then has this impassioned plea before Joseph. But what's fascinating is all of a sudden Judah is the one who comes and says they admit their guilt. They're admitting their guilt before God, and they're also admitting their guilt before Joseph. And, and it's like this example of getting caught speeding. There's no sense in blaming someone, right? You see how fast they pass me, and I'm just trying to keep up, or I have this really important appointment, or, you know, most of the time you'd probably say, oh, I'm late for church. So that's why I was speeding officer and they're like, yeah, I'm sure they hear that one a lot But I mean, there's no there's no sense in blaming someone else. There's no sense in blaming the circumstances There's just no excuses. They're just guilty just guilty, right? And it kind of reminds me of tax time if you don't pay your taxes uh, And you owe then you're guilty of not paying your taxes We owe to Caesar what we owe Caesar right as Jesus said and so we just last year we had to we, we owe again this year and that's okay But last year we, we owed quite a bit because we just had finished our 15th year of college kids And you know when you're in college when you have kids in college no matter how much you pay for them Or how little you get this tax write-off and and I'll just tell you if you haven't done that It's way cheaper to just not get the tax write-off. Okay, it's not really that great of a deal It still costs you way more to have them in college than you ever get back for a tax write-off, okay? But that's how it goes and so but we lost that so then we thought this other really creative way that we could get tax write-offs And we spent last summer at Mayo Clinic so you get like these medical expenses And and you know I wouldn't recommend that either and and uh, but it, it reminded me of this whole story of this guy Who felt really guilty about not paying his taxes so he sends this letter to the IRS and he says to whom it may concern I haven't been able to sleep because last year when I filled out my income tax return I deliberately misrepresented my income and so I'm enclosing a check for 150 bucks So you get the picture he feels guilty can't sleep restless nights So he sends the IRS 150 bucks and then the letter ends and he says if I still can't sleep I'll send you the rest <laughs> See I like I I think that's good <laughs> and, and I think that's really 
kind of funny, but it's kind of how we deal with God a lot. I'm sorry, you know, like we have these little things we want to admit we're guilty for, or maybe these big things, but we really don't want to admit everything to God, right? We just kind of have these little things, and if I can't sleep, God, then maybe I'll admit the, uh, the next thing. But the truth is, if you sin, just admit it to God because he already knows. He knows, okay? He knows. He knows. The second thing, then, is, is to repent, to turn to God. So you just admit you're guilty, and then you repent. You turn to God. Now, admitting your guilt doesn't make you turn to God. You know, the guy sending the letter to the IRS admitted he was guilty, but he did not turn to God. He did not repent, okay? So repent just means to, to turn away from what you're doing and to change your mind about what you're doing and turn toward God. And so what's cool about repentance, it's just amazing to me, is like in our society, repentance kind of has this bad name, you know? And maybe it's just because you hear it all the time, repent or die, you know, things, maybe that tends to give it a bad name, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of like in your face. But the truth is, the truth is, the truth is so cool, is repentance is not something that you have to do, it's something you get to do. You get to do. Do you see? Because what happens is, is like, you take your failures and you turn to God and receive forgiveness. Now, how cool is that? What kind of God is this? I messed up. I admit I'm guilty. I turn to God and I receive forgiveness. That is amazing. That is amazing. And, and you can drag this on for 20 years if you want. Or you can, by the end of the service, be free <laughs> by turning to God. It's, it's an amazing thing that God has given us. It's an incredible gift that we have to turn to him. And, and the brothers kind of realized that. If you go to the end of Genesis chapter 44, verse 32 in there, at the end of kind of Judah's plea for Benjamin and the brothers and asking, admitting his guilt and, and turning towards Joseph and towards God, he says, your servant, became, your servant will become surety for, for Benjamin. Okay, I said I would be surety for Benjamin for my father. If I don't bring him back to you, let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of Benjamin as a slave to my Lord, and let Benjamin go back with his brothers. For how shall I go to my father if Benjamin's not with me, lest I see the evil that would overtake my father? So here's Judah. He's totally changed. He's like, I'm willing to take Benjamin's place. Make me the slave, right? And the brothers had all turned to God, and they, and they had changed, and, and God changed their heart. You see it in Judah. And he's the one, right? He's the leader, and it's amazing what happens in his life and through his life and how ultimately Christ comes through his line. But he's the one who's like had the great idea to sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. But know your sin's going to find you out because God knows. But he repents and he surrenders, and he's not justifying himself. He's not justifying Benjamin. He's not blaming everything in this situation or just putting up with this situation. He's just owning up, okay? He's just owning it. I sin. It's like man up would be kind of how we would say it, maybe. And that's really where true courage comes in, is when you surrender to Christ. And he's kind of showing what that looks like. And so we're so trained to think that, man, when we do great things, when we're really succeeding in life, when we're prospering in life, when we're doing good things in life, and, and from our perspective, you know, these successes that we have and the stuff that we have, can he use and recognize Right? Look at how successful I've been. Look at all the good things I've done. Now I'm in a position where God can really use me. God can really recognize that. But, um, you know, that's not really what God's looking for. He just wants us. He just wants our surrender. 
And that's why so often we would all uh, who have walked with the Lord for very long see that God moves most mightily often in our humiliations and in our weaknesses and in our failures because then we really need him. And that, that sense of humility is really the pathway to our God. It's this self-forgetfulness, not self-promotion, that God is, is blessed by and that God uses in incredible ways. So here are these brothers. They're guilty. Um, they're humiliated. They repent. They turn to God. They turn away from the denial of their sin. They turn towards God. And then God is revealed. God is revealed. And you can see it in the picture of Joseph, but you know you see it in our lives. So just kind of put yourself in the story. These brothers haven't been together for over two decades. And, and, and as Lynn read that, that story, you could kind of see how Joseph all of a sudden can control himself. He pours himself out. I am Joseph. I'm Joseph. And he, and he pours it out just to his brothers. And he's like, please come closer to me. And that, that word in the Hebrew is not just closer physically, but like this intimate closeness. It's like what he's longed for, like this embrace. Come closer to me. And he says, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves, in verse 5, because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me here. And he goes on and he talks about how God sent me before you to preserve a remnant on the earth, to keep you alive from a great deliverance. It was not you who sent me here, but God. He's the one who made me a father to Pharaoh. He's the one that made me Lord over his household. He's the one that made me ruler over all the land of Egypt. See, God is the one who did this. God has made me Lord over all of Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. It's amazing what God has done. And most all of you have been in a situation like that that maybe you don't realize, but you've been treated poorly by someone. You've been wronged. You've been sinned against. You've had pain. You've had rejection. You've had evil men against you. But all of a sudden, God can use it for good. He can use it for good. And their fear is replaced by this grace because of one man, Joseph. And the power of God was revealed. And all of a sudden, all these things come together. His dreams come together. And his slavery and his, his imprisonment and his time in the palace and this deliverance and how God was moving. And I just want you to know, if you just take all of your past away and just think, okay, God did all of this for his glory and he's brought me right here today for his glory and God did it and I can leave here and just say wow God you've put me here you've made me who I am for your glory believe me he's still moving in your lives and in your circumstances it's amazing to think what kind of God we have it's amazing and, and when you're guilty just admit it to him not to me to anybody else admit it to God and just turn away from your sin and turn to God and he'll reveal himself. Now realize that the brother's sin had put Joseph there, right? Well, your sin put Jesus on the cross. Realize that Joseph knew his brothers before they knew him. Know that Jesus Christ knows you. He knew you before you're formed. Know that Joseph knew their sin, even though they tried to hide it, right? Jesus knows yours. Joseph, he loved his brothers even though they didn't love him. They didn't even know who he was. Jesus loves you. Matter of fact, God demonstrates his love for you while you were still sinners. Christ died for you. Joseph was sent to save lives. Jesus gives life. So they're guilty. They're totally in the hands of Joseph. 
and he shows them justice, he shows them mercy, and he shows them grace, and then he calls them close. I'll provide for you. And that's really what I, I believe God's calling to every one of you today. Come close to me. I'll provide for you. That's what Jesus Christ does for you. And you think, what kind of God is this? <laughs> now, he's a God of justice, mercy, and grace, amongst other things. And so just stick with me here as we, as we land this thing, because if we can walk out of here with this, it's amazing. And, uh, and, and so, you know, it's hard for us because we're body, soul, spirit. We have these minds. We remember all these things from the past. But God is one. So let's just step out of our, our little paradigm for a minute and realize that, that let's just take an example of two moral situations before God. Okay? A sinner or a saint. A sinner or a saint. Okay, now you maybe think when you hear that, the very first thought often most of us think is, okay, it's easy for me, I'm a sinner. And someone who's died, who's been canonized or whatever, is a saint. Okay, but just rethink that for a minute. Because we're so parts, we have all these gray areas, and you think, man, I know I sinned here, I know I sinned there, I know I did this wrong, I'm on this journey, and I'm trying to figure this all out. But let's just step out from God's perspective and as best we can, which is totally limited, he's overall, he sees the beginning and the end, he's the great I am. He's present, always, okay? So he sees your life, he saw before you were born, he saw as you were created, he saw as you were born, he sees as you live, he sees as you die, he sees eternity. He's God, he's over everything, he's not bound at all by time. So he's looking at you, and you're at the whole scope of everything that entails your life, everything, and he sees it, okay? There's no gray areas for him, and he's just this great I am. So now just think about this. If your moral situation before God is as a sinner, that would mean you're not perfect. That would mean you're not holy. That would mean that you miss God's mark, okay? And guess what? All have sinned. So we easily can put ourselves in that role. But we're not really sinners because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner, right? That's your identity. And so, guess what? God's justice, as he sees you, the sinner, demands death. Separation from him. The wages of sin is death. That's what God's justice demands. And you break any part of the law ever in your thoughts or in your actions, and you're guilty. Now, God's mercy allows that you, as a sinner, were not wiped off the face of the earth the very first sin you committed. Right? Just like if you're driving down the street and you demand, the, the, the justice says go to jail and the officer lets you go home, gives you mercy for a while. And so we don't immediately get what we deserve, but don't, that doesn't change that God is just, okay? And God is pouring out his common grace on this earth on everybody who is a sinner, okay? Everybody gets to experience the beauty of this day, right? Everybody who lives here gets it. They get the rain, they get the joy, they get the, the, the benefits of life, the benefits of nature, the benefits of relationship. And here's God just pouring out, pouring out, pouring out his common grace. But it's only because of his grace that you even continue to live, okay? It's his unearned favor. And there's this saving grace that's available. And the great sin really is rejecting his grace. And really thinking somehow you're just good enough to pull off a successful life, okay? But it's like saying you're just good enough to pull off the sunrise in tomorrow. None of us are. Okay, that's God's common grace. And it's amazing how it's poured out. So this is your moral situation before God as a sinner, okay? As a sinner, and it deserves death. Now, when we admit we're guilty, which we all are, 
of that sin and we turn to God and we repent and we trust Christ as our Savior and we're going to trust what he's done rather than we've done, we're given the eternal life, which means we can know God. Not just now, but we can know God forever and ever and ever. And we're forgiven by God's sacrifice of his son on the cross. And we have life because he lives. And what's amazing is God takes our sin and exchanges his righteousness for that. He takes your sin and gives you Christ's righteousness. That's what God does. He takes your sin and gives you Christ's righteousness. And guess what? You are now a saint. That's what the Bible calls you. Believers are saints. Holy, set apart. The scriptures say everyone who knows Jesus as their Savior is a saint. That's your moral situation now. It's changed before God. As a Christian, instead of a sinner before God, you're a saint. And God engages culture by living through his saints. Now just catch that, right? Christ lives in you. Colossians 3.3. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Okay, you have been crucified with Christ. You no longer live. Christ lives in you. That's the truth. Now just catch this, okay? Catch this. So in his grace, saint, he has given you unearned favor with him. He exchanged your sins for his righteousness. How cool is that? Okay? You're his sons, you're his daughters. In his mercy, he has not given you what you deserve yet. And it's not kind of what we think. But you know what? You're still here. He still is living through you here on this earth. You're not in heaven. Okay? But because Christ lives in you, heaven is your destination. You have this eternal life now. Now just catch this. God's justice will ultimately give you what you deserve. Make you cringe? You're going to get what you deserve. You're going to get what you deserve by God. You're going to get what you deserve. And you know what that is? Heaven. A glorified body. Eternal life. That's what you deserve because of Jesus Christ and he lives in you. Now isn't that amazing it is so cool and guess what since you are in Christ and he is in you if God does not do that if he punishes you for your sin which has already been punished for Christ in Christ okay then he's not really being just he's not being just because your sin has already been punished on the cross by Jesus Christ and Christ lives in you and guess what? He is completely just. God has paid the price for your sin, Christian. It's so amazing. That's why Paul could write, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it just, see why I can't write anything? Can't even put a note down? Because God is completely just. He's completely merciful. He's completely gracious. And so I just want to beg you, to think about that and leave rejoicing of what kind of God this is. It's amazing who he is. Father, I, I pray now as we, as we close that each person in here would just stop and consider their moral situation before you. If it's a sinner, let them admit their guilt and turn to Jesus Christ who has paid for the sin. And if it's a saint, 
let us just get a, a glimpse of the magnitude of that truth. God, I just thank you. I just thank you for what kind of God you are. So above us, so beyond us, so glorious. And I thank you for your justice and your mercy and your grace. And I thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name.